Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And I'd like to teach a message entitled, In His Arms and Blessed. In His Arms and Blessed. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Now, both Matthew and Luke also gives, give us versions of this. And in Matthew, it says they brought the kids to Jesus so that he would pray for them. And then in Luke, he makes it very plain that they wanted to be touched also. So as we look at this, we want you to see the connection with Jesus and the children and how that with the laying on of hands, how blessing came to these kids. The chapter begins with Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And you can see in verse 2, they were asking him questions about marriage. And Jesus went out of his way to explain that the reason divorce originated was because of the hardness of people's heart. They come to a point where they can no longer say, I forgive. And Once that heart becomes so hard, then at that point, the separation begins. You can also see then that verse 6, Jesus affirms the narrative or the account in the book of Genesis. And he quotes from Genesis by saying in verse 8, the two become one flesh. He speaks about people leaving their father and their mother. He's taking those words from Genesis. So the disciples, of course, were thinking that his words were somewhat difficult because if God puts them together and they cannot be torn asunder, he said, they said, it just seems to me like it's difficult to get married. And Jesus told them that, you know, these words that I'm speaking are not easy for everyone. However, you can see in the beginning part of this chapter that the blessing of God is upon marriage, and that's his plan. But now the discussion moves into the fruit of marriage, the children. And it's at this point that Jesus has a very wonderful thing that takes place, and it says they brought these children to him. Children in the Bible are very significant. In fact, the psalmist said that children are the heritage of the Lord. So important are children in Scripture that the Lord said, make sure that the word of God is on the doorposts of your home so that you educate that godly seed. God wanted children to reproduce what was in mom and dad because mom and dad in turn should have been reproducing what was in grandma and grandpa. 
And if the word of God is continually placed in the next generation, then it's like planting the seed, turning the soil over, planting the seed, turning the soil over with the harvest coming up in every generation. You know that God loved children. He went after Moses and preserved him. Scripture tells us he even spoke to Samuel when he was just a little boy dwelling in the tabernacle. But the beginning part of the chapter tells us that this discussion began with the Pharisees. But note, note the parents did not bring or the guardians did not bring the children to them. Didn't bring them to the Pharisees. These were people who were dressed in very holy garments. They were very self-righteous. They prided themselves on their ability to keep the law But there wasn't one parent that said, let's take our kids to the Pharisee and have them touch them. But even the children wanted to be around Jesus. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us earlier about how the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest. Jesus called for a little kid and had the little kid stand in their midst. And Jesus said, except you become like this little kid you'll never be able to understand what it is to be a servant or enter into the kingdom of God. The scripture tells us that Jesus was in the temple one time performing miracles, and it said the children were in the temple crying out, Hosanna, because they saw the blind eyes open. Ministry of Jesus has been surrounded with kids. Kids were everywhere. They loved him. They enjoyed his presence. So this is something to consider whenever we're talking with people and they say, I can't understand how to get young people to love Jesus. Jesus didn't have that problem. They loved him. It's how people are introduced to Jesus. If they're introduced to a Pharisee, if they're introduced to a Sadducee that doesn't believe in the Bible, if they're introduced to someone that's a zealot, they'll probably be turned off. But children have an amazing kind of discernment. They know which adults they like to be around and the ones they like to avoid. And you can probably remember your youth or remember in raising your kids that there probably were certain family members they avoided, didn't want to be around. And sometimes people couldn't understand how But I can tell you this, you let an uncle's first introduction to a young kid be the uncle's jumping up saying boo from behind the bed. And that little kid is going to remember that phrase or remember that word and remember that countenance. And every time that uncle wants to hold him, that little kid may go to crying. Yeah, sometimes it's the appearance. I don't know about you, but I had a couple of aunties that lived in Detroit. And when we would have our family reunion, we would go up there, and it was always one auntie that would say, come on, sugar, come give auntie a big hug, and I was terrified of her because she had more hair on her face than my dad did. She had a light mustache and a beard and everything, and I would tell my mom, please don't take me to that house. Yeah. Yeah, children, children are funny, you know, they, they, uh, they choose their friends, kind of like cats do, you know, they choose their friends. But the Bible says they brought the young children to Jesus. There's no instance of any of them running away. I think there was something about the presence, presence of the Lord that drew them. And I think people are happy 
in the presence of God, when they sense the presence of God. I think that's one of the greatest attractions for young adults and for children, to know that they're in the presence of the Lord when they're in the company of the believers and they don't need a whole lot of distractions. They do need his presence. The Bible says in his presence, the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, today, of course, I'll preach in churches sometimes, and you pretty much have to have a circus just to keep the children occupied. And what ends up happening, I believe, is that children grow up in church thinking they're a distraction. So the, the young people, you know, they head to the church and the toddlers go to one place, the seven and eight year olds to another, the teenagers are off doing something else, and then for the parents, they all head for the sanctuary. And, and in the years past, I used to ask young people sometimes, I said, how, how many times have you heard your pastor minister? And I don't know how many teenagers I've heard say, unless it's at a, a baptism or a marriage or a funeral, I, I don't know that I've heard them minister three times, you see. And so what, what is placed in the mind of some people is that I'm a burden in the sanctuary, whereas Jesus was saying, stop trying to keep the kids from getting to me. Bring them to my presence so that they can enjoy me. And the scripture, as it says here, it says that he should touch them. Now, this whole aspect of touching goes all the way back to Jacob. You'll probably remember when Jacob was getting older, he wanted to see Joseph, and Joseph came with his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, Manasseh being older. And Jacob wanted to put his hands on them and bless them. And so his eyes weren't where they could have been as far as health-wise, but Joseph came with his boys, and he maneuvered his kids so that Manasseh would be by the right hand where the blessing could come on him. And then put Ephraim over here by the left hand, being the younger one. But Jacob knew what was taking place, and Jacob switched his hands. And when Joseph realized Daddy had switched his hand and was given the blessing that should have gone to the firstborn, to the one who was younger, then Joseph said, oh, no, Daddy, don't do that. And Dad had to explain to him, this is the will of God. The elder will serve the younger. And I assume that would not be easy in a patriarchal society to realize that even though you're the firstborn, that the blessing of God isn't necessarily going to come to you or that the inheritance is not going to come to you, but come to the younger one. And the scripture tells us that that is what Jacob did. But there are a lot of parallels with Jacob's life. You know, here's a man came into this world with a covenant already assigned to his life. Jesus Christ was you know, from the foundation of the world, he already had an agreement within the Godhead. He was going to come and die for us. You think of the fact that within Jacob's household, there was jealousy. Jesus certainly had to deal with that himself. When Jacob departed from his home, it says he had a vision and he saw a ladder with angels going up and down. And you remember John tells the story of how Jesus said, you haven't seen anything. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's exactly what happened. And even as Mr. Jacob 
It's touching those kids. We find our Jacob putting his hands on these children. The ones that Jacob touched had a covenant with the Lord through their relationship with him. But here are people who are descendants of Jacob and they're saying we want to be in the presence of this man. Please let him touch our children. I think that says a lot about the parents, you know, parents who want their children to be blessed and want hands laid upon them. I think they knew there was something special about Jesus. And I think we all should know that. And our role, like their role, should be to bring children to the Lord. How can we bring children to know the Lord and have a relationship with him. So while all of this is going on, and there's this animation and this excitement taking place, the disciples rebuked the parents and the guardians. They didn't say anything to the kids, but they rebuked the parents and said, why are you doing this? Now, we don't know exactly what was going on with them, but we know in the preceding uh, chapters that the Lord had used the little child to rebuke them because of their arguments. I'm greater than you. You're greater than this person. I'm great. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And so now these little children are coming and the disciples are angry about it. Why would people get upset about parents who want their children to be in the presence of God? But you see it quite often today. There are a lot of parents don't want their kids to know about God. Yeah, a lot of atheists that are like that. Some very religious People don't want their children to ever darken the door outside of their denomination. I've heard, I've heard uh, adults say this before. I, I just believe that a child is very impressionable and we should not force our beliefs upon that child. Yeah, I've, I've heard parents say that. In fact, I've known people who were raised in church and in their adult years had to go see a psychiatrist because they came to believe they were brainwashed by having to go to church when they were kids. Think about that. So here's an adult parent that's saying, I think a child should be raised and allowed to choose their own faith and religion without me being influential in that way at all. And then I always ask the question like this. Okay, so when, when your kids were getting to where they could start pick out items of clothing, to put on each day. Did you just let little Johnny put on whatever he wanted to put on or did you help him? Because you know as well as I do, folks, there's some little kids don't like to wear any clothing at all and they'll just go to school at four or five and they won't have anything on but their undies if they could. And so mom and dad, they, they lay it all all right. And you know, the average parent is going to say, oh, absolutely not. You've got to go to school. This is what the law is. We've got to make sure you can read, write, do your arithmetic and all that kind of a thing. And so pretty soon, what are they doing? Making sure the child is educated. And that's from a natural standpoint. So if something like clothing and education can be so formative in the life of a young person. Why in the world would you leave something as important as the eternity in their soul to them? You would have to be involved with that. These parents were not taking their children to the Pharisees. 
They did not take their children to some Greek and Roman citizen to learn about the Greek and Roman gods. They did not find some Egyptian priest that could talk to them about the Egyptian religion. They came to where Jesus was. And I think when it comes to us, we shouldn't worry about Buddhism or Mormonism or anything else. Introduce them to Christ. Early age, as soon as possible, to think about that. And when we have opportunities to be around the grandkids or to be around other friends, children, do what you can to introduce them to Jesus. You say, what can I do? Teach them a song when they're young. Little kids like songs, you know. Teach them a song. And, and sometimes when they get older, you, you, can, you can bring scriptural verses into your conversation without ever saying this is from Malachi. They don't know who a Malachi is anyway if they don't go to church. But you can introduce the wisdom of God simply by sharing what the verses say. The disciples rebuked those that brought them. I can't imagine what kind of ruckus this might have been with them saying all of these things to these parents. Get away from here. The master is busy. Leave the master alone. He has other things to do than put his hands on your children. But you can notice the first sentence of verse 14. Jesus observed it and he was displeased. So here you have an illustration where Jesus was unhappy. If you never believed he could be displeased, you have a verse right here. Earlier in the book, it even tells us that he got angry one time. He was displeased. He was displeased with his disciples' words. He was displeased with his disciples' actions. So even though you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is possible for us to grieve God, displease him. Sometimes he's not happy with our actions. The Holy Ghost comes upon us to bring conviction. And when conviction comes into our heart, never forget, he only convicts where there's evidence of guilt. You have never felt bad because of the power of God, except you needed to feel get bad because of what you did. That's what conviction is. You can be right in what you say, but wrong in how you say it. Wrong tone. Yeah. So God comes by his power. He brings the conviction that is needed in order to change our, our behavior. So Jesus is watching what is taking place. He's observing what his disciples are doing. He sees what you do. He sees what I do. And if what we're doing can hinder a child from coming to him, he's not happy about it. So what are some stumbling blocks that adults can put in the way of young people? Well, number one, we could take the big word, we could say hypocrisy, you know. If, if we don't live what we proclaim, that certainly could be a stumbling block. Sometimes it's good for us as adults to learn to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Two words, I'm sorry. Let's everybody say that together. I'm sorry. See, some of you, that's the first time you've said that in years. Yeah, think about that. I'm sorry. That means, that means that maybe what I have done was wrong. You know, kids pay attention to that, too. Yeah, they, they pay attention to that. And, and if, if, if they don't find a heart that's pliable in the, the hands of God, then very often they'll be turned off by church, turned off by the things of the Lord. Because they'll say there's just a whole lot of mean-spirited people there. I don't want to take a poll, but all of us have talked to people and asked the question, why is it that you don't want to serve God? Or 
what is it that caused you to stop going to church or fall away from God? And you know the, the, the answers are many. People have all kinds of reasons, but I have found that one of the biggest reasons is they were chased away by somebody who's mean-spirited. Yeah. These disciples said, get away from Jesus. He doesn't have time to bother with your kids. And you get somebody with a bad attitude, says something the wrong way to somebody who's visiting or somebody that's in the church. And then pretty soon they stop coming and you see them a year from now. You say, oh, I've missed you. I haven't seen you in a while. What's been going on? I said, well, I was there, but such and such happened. Well, sometimes people have a bad day. We understand that. But notice Jesus, in his displeasure, he then says to them, he says to them wisely, permit the children to come to me. So he's telling them, you got to change your attitude here. We're going to put all this stuff in reverse. Let them come to me. Stop blocking them from getting to me. Let them come. That's what he said. Let the little children come and don't forbid them. So there are two things he said. Number one, get out of the way and stop hindering them. And then he made it very plain. You stop doing what you're doing to keep them from coming. So again, a lot of people don't like their kids to go to church. You wonder why sometimes. You think parents would be excited to have somebody pick up their child, take them so they can learn about the things of God go to a Sunday school, go to a VBS, you know, vacation Bible school or something like that so they can learn about the king. I know that Jesus wants the little children because he realizes that the little children need to hear what he has to say. Now, how important is this? Let's go now to Psalm 78 in the Old Testament. Psalm 78 And notice here in Psalm 78, verse number one, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. That's what the psalmist is saying. So he tells him, you need to listen so that I can explain some very deep things to you. Verse four, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So the point then is to make sure that the stories in your life are told to other people because they need to hear them. They need to hear them. And what God has done for you, you shouldn't keep it to yourself. You should share it with other people. I don't care how tired people get of hearing your story of how you became a believer in the Lord. Tell it anyhow. I have lots of stories that you folks have heard me tell over the past 20 years. Some of the kids can tell the stories better than me. And some of them even even say to me afterwards, you know, you left out the part where you said. Because they've heard it so many times. But these are the kinds of stories that are important. Think about your grandparents, what you've heard from them. Your great-grandparents, if you knew them. The kinds of stories they told you about difficult times that they endured and how they persevered, and it's because of their perseverance that you're still here right now. And those kinds of stories need to be told to the next generation. Now, my brothers and sisters, they don't pay 
any attention to that. I'm probably the only one that can track our lineage going back to the, to the, the uh, late 1800s because my other family members don't even care about it. But I've always been interested in roots because if we understand our roots, then we can understand where we come from. If we know where we're coming from, then we have some idea about where we're going. And even as a preacher, I always spent my time as, as a young minister with older preachers. I always had people who were 30, 40, 50 years older than me, and I'd sit down and I'd say, tell me some stories about some of the old revivals you used to preach. Tell me about some of the best meetings that you've been in when you've seen the power of God fall like rain and people get filled with the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues. Tell me some of the great meetings you had, the prayer meetings where people laid there in the presence of God and wept and cried. People didn't even want to go home. Tell me about the all-night prayer meetings. I want to hear about that. Because I realize that I came up in a generation that, that saw certain things in my travels, but I know that so much of that has been lost today. I was sitting here thinking earlier when I was listening to a, a message. When I started preaching in the 80s, if, if you just went to any kind of minister's conference, you'd trip over an evangelist. There were so many of them out on the field holding meetings, going from one church to the next, preaching. But now they're as scarce as hen's teeth. To try to find somebody that'll come to your local church and say, I will stay until God moves. Hard to find a man or woman like that. Somebody to just say, I'll come for however few you have, and if I have to stay six weeks, we'll fast and pray and believe God. Hard to find them like that today. Every now and then you can find somebody pulling a trailer that still believes like that, somebody traveling with their family in a bus that's been renovated, and they're raising their kids out on the road, and they're traveling and singing and preaching, but for the most part, everything is turned into a two- or three-day seminar. Somebody teaches on how to believe. Somebody teaches on how to walk in the anointing. Somebody teaches on prosperity. The psalmist said, we won't hide this from the children. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. The next generation needs to hear this. So when I'm asking questions and I say to Sister Phyllis, tell me about some of them churches that, that you and Hugh pastored early on in your ministry. I, I'm wanting to hear what ministry was like 50 years ago. See, When, when I sit with uh, some of my friends, whatever denomination they are, and I say, tell me about what it was like when you started in ministry your first pastor, your first revival, what it was like the first time you were fired from a church. How did that turn out, you know? I want to hear all of them stories, you see. And, and, and you learn a whole lot just by asking. So verse number six, that the generation to come might know. So here's why we tell the story, that the generation to come might know even the children which should be born. You're telling these stories for people who haven't even got here yet. We're telling the testimony over and over again. Who should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So we're not just thinking about right now. If the Lord Jesus tarries 
and the church isn't called away anytime soon, and we make it. There needs to be somebody telling the story about us right here. There needs to be somebody sharing the story about how you came to genuine faith in God. They need to hear about how you, when you were trusting God, didn't have money to go to the doctor, but yet God, by his power, healed you, and blessed you, and kept you. Yeah, if people don't hear those stories, then those stories go to the grave. And I wonder how many good stories and testimonies are buried out there in that graveyard. Wonder how many good stories from some man, some woman, been in good meetings. All of that died with them. They never were able to put it in the next generation because the next generation didn't take the time to be interested in that. So it's, it's a funny thing. Um, we we have, of course, the wedding yesterday, and then the night before, talking to. Uh, John's pops, you know, one of the questions I had was tell me about John's mom was like the president of Globe for like over a decade. I, then I, I pretty much didn't want to hear about cattle anymore. I just wanted to know all about what those meetings were like, you know, the spirit of God, the power of God falling in those meetings. That's what interests me. To know how God moves, you see, to understand the activity of God when he's at work in a believer and in a local church, because that's what attracted me as a teenager. And I know that's what will attract other people today. The presence of God, the anointing of God, the touch of God. So the scripture says that the generation to come might know and even the children which should be born. In Psalm 78, verse 7, it says that they might set their hope in God. I'm trying to show you how we can keep the next generation from backsliding. They put their hope in God because they have heard about what God has done for you. He's delivered you. If he's rescued you. If he's gone out of his way to redeem you out of the most horrible pit and difficult circumstances, kids need to hear that story. Yeah. So I, I, I love when Tiff and I travel and then usually after we're done ministering in a night service or something, we go to somebody's house and then they feed us late and there's usually five or six different families or somebody that's invited to come over. And so all these young preachers, they always like to just pull up a chair around us and then start asking us questions about ministry, you know. And then we just sit there as long as they have questions and we talk about God. I'll talk to them about some of my fathers in the faith that had mentored me. I'll talk to them about the kind of meetings we've had. I'll share with them about the things we've seen God do. And I know what, what they're after. They're after the same thing I was after. And that was they have a hunger for reality. And the more you hear it, your hope rises and your faith grows. So when I sit at the table with late Donnie Ray Hester, who was a pastor friend of mine in Jacksonville when I was a young Marine, a teenager, and I was down there. He grew up in a church called Deliverance Evangelistic Temple. That's a denomination of churches on the East Coast that was started by a gentleman named Arturo Skinner. He was a very popular preacher in the 50s and 60s on the radio, had a miracle ministry, though. But 
I can remember sitting with Brother Hester at that kitchen table, and he'd say to me, have you, you ever heard of Brother Skinner? I said, well, no, who, who is he? And then he started telling me a little bit about his, his life story being raised in the, the islands and all of that. And then he, he'd tell me about being in meetings in Washington, D.C., where he, see, he saw Brother Skinner lay hands on people in front of thousands of people and people that were blind, their eyes open, and how it changed him and his wife. Just seeing that. And, you know, a little 19-year-old kid, I'd never in my life seen anybody blind that had been made whole. But now I'm hearing stories. So, of course, when you start hearing stories, you start asking even more questions. And then there's even more stuff going on. Then I ran into a lady in the church there at the church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. It was called, it was Marshall Chapel Missionary Baptist Church was the name of it. But it was a full gospel church. And I ran into a lady and she was telling me how something like, oh, 15 years prior. So this would have been 89 or so. She said 15 years prior, she had cancer and she said the doctor had given her up to die. She didn't have any hair at all on her head. Everything in her life was falling apart. But she came down to that altar and asked Brother Hester to anoint her with oil and lay hands on her. And sure enough. God healed the woman, and here she's talking to me with a full head of hair. See, you're a teenager, and you see stuff like that. That 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 make an impression on you, and you you just don't ever again believe all these these kooky people on television and radio trying to tell you that God stopped doing those things when the last apostle died. I don't care what about what the last apostle did when he died. I'm telling the same God that was that person. God is still the God today, and He hadn't changed at all. You see. So we tell the stories so that people will set their hope on God. And then notice verse 7 again in Psalm 78, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is exactly what happened in Gideon's generation. The angel showed up and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And, And Gideon said, what in the world are you talking about? Do you know who I am? I come from the smallest family, the least of all the tribes. Where is this God that has done all these miracles we've heard about? Now He's saying this to an angel. I mean, he's having a supernatural visitation, and he's saying God doesn't do miracles anymore, even though I'm looking at an angel. That, told, that tells you how dull we can become to the things of God when he's trying to get our attention. And then verse 8, that they and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So we share the stories and the testimonies to keep from producing a rebellious generation. We want kids to know, follow God because that's the right path to be on. Don't be distracted by what you see And by what you hear. Now coming back to Mark chapter 10 now. You can see in verse 14 why this is important. Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. Forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. Of such. What is he talking about? Children of a pure heart, simple mind, and an obedient spirit. These are the kinds of people that represent the kingdom of God, and that's what we should be as adults. You know, I, I tell a little kid, I'm going to come by and pick you up 
and take you and get you some ice cream. You know what they expect pastor to do? Come by and pick them up, bring them some ice cream. Take them to get some. So if you look into the scripture and you see, then you're supposed to believe that promise. You're supposed to expect that God who made the promise truly is a promise keeper. That God will go out of his way to honor his word. That he will do whatever it takes to make sure that his word is kept. And that's exactly what God does. Let the little children come to me. Don't prohibit people from coming to God. So when I hear people tell children, you shouldn't expect God to help you today. God doesn't answer prayer. As far as I'm concerned, that's a form of keeping children from coming to God. If I hear somebody tell a little kid, God doesn't do supernatural things today. He doesn't intervene. You just told that child, don't pray. So if you're telling the child, don't pray, you tell him there's no need for God. God doesn't exist. You're keeping a child from coming to God. But to tell that child, we serve a God that's so big, so strong, that he cares about the little aspects of your life. That for a little kid, God cares about a broken pencil when it comes to that little child. That if that little child loses a gerbil or a hamster for that little kid, God is impressed and God is interested because it belongs to that child. So verse 15 says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. He's not telling you to become a baby again. Even Nicodemus misunderstood this. Nicodemus thought he had to climb back up in mama's womb somehow in order for him to make it into the kingdom of God. The only thing the Lord is saying is ensure that you have a pure heart and a mind that is somewhat like a child so that you can believe. That's all he's saying. So that you can believe. And then after Jesus gave that short little sermonette, despite the objections of the disciples early on, but to the great uh, gladness and happiness of all the parents that brought the children, it says he took them up in his arms. Oh, wouldn't you have been one of them kids? Oh, my goodness. To be hugged by the Lord, to be embraced by Jesus. I wonder how many kids, after Jesus ascended to heaven, grew up and had a memory of this moment and could testify in churches and to other people. I remember when I was five years old and my mama and daddy took me to see that man, Jesus, and he lifted me up and prayed for me. Think about that. See, The memories are powerful. So, so long after the last apostle died, <laughs> there were still little kids who were now in their 70s or 80s or 90s and some older. And they're saying, let me tell you about the day he put his hands on me. And this is what he prayed when he blessed me. So this is how we should be as adults with other young people. We take up kids in our arms to bless them, not to curse them but to speak affirming words of life over them. So when we're dedicating kids or we're praying over kids, then our prayer for them is God preserve them and keep them. May they never know what it is, oh God, to be involved with drugs, alcohol. May they never become addicted to any kind of substance. God, that 
will destroy their bodies. Father, we pray that you would keep them out of relationships that would lead to fornication outside of marriage. See, folks, that's how you pray. That's how you bless them. And, and it doesn't matter whose kid it is. I mean, I, I have them sometimes after different services and stuff when I'm traveling. They will. Them parents, they'll be right in, in line after some of them services. And they say, would well, just put your hand on our newborn that was just, just came, got, got into this world. And would you just bless the little child? And we just pray a little blessing. What are you praying? Everything I just told you. Everything I just told you. And so as a Christian, when God gives you opportunity to hold them grandkids, them nieces, them nephews, you get a chance to get them in your arms, even if it's for just a moment, you can still love somebody and say, oh, God's got great things he wants to do for you. It would be hard for me to work for Head Start, Miss Anna, because we'd never get anything done. I'd be praying for them all day long. Yeah, just, just, just all day long, bouncing them on my knee in Jesus' name, Lord, put a hedge of protection around them. I'd be rebuking the devil as they're coming in and just praying God's angels upon them as they went out every day. But God gives us opportunities. And I think if, if we take advantage of them, then blessings come. So Jesus took them up in his arms. He put his hands upon them and blessed them. So you can see in his arms, they were blessed in his arms, in the presence of the Lord. That's where we are right now. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's what the king said. So in his presence, his full embrace in your life and in my life is there to bless us. The scripture makes it very plain in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are blessed because we're connected with Jesus Christ. In In his hands, I'm not cursed. I'm not afraid of any curses. I'm not worried about the devil. I've never cared about witchcraft. I've told you before, if five people had had voodoo dolls of me and were sticking needles in them as I was walking by, I'd laugh at them as they were sticking the needles in because there wouldn't be any pain in my body at all because I know I'm blessed and I'm in his arms. See, So as a Christian, folks, stand on that. And let's, let's, let's love all the little ones that we come in contact with and all the ones that will be born. Can you imagine what is this world? going to be like with 10 or 11 little Irelands running around. What is this world going to be like? You hear me? I'm telling you. And one day, one day little Ava is going to have her own little brood. And if the Lord tarries, she's going to be able to make, you know, fudge chocolate cookies for that little brood. And I hope she'll teach her little ones to remember the pastor Remember the pastor. Yeah. But folks, we're blessed. I mean, God's good. God's good. That's a good woman. That's a good woman. I'm telling you, that's a good woman. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. Amen. We don't want to do anything to keep young people from coming to the Lord. We want to do everything we can to remove obstacles and make sure that we're a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block keeping them from coming to know God. It's a blessing to see how many people through the years that we've been out here that have come to know God. I was thinking the other day, 18 months, I think, after we've been here, we sent our first teenager off to Bible school from Red Cloud. 18 months later, 
And then I think two years after that, that same young man we sent off to Mongolia, supported him the whole time he was over there in Mongolia, fell in love with a girl, and I think he's down in Arizona now running some healing rooms or something, praying for the sick. I remember another young couple that came, a little girl in high school, I preached a message on hell. She ran to that altar, gave her heart to the Lord. Immediately after that, she headed Bible College in Tulsa, and last I knew, she was a missionary somewhere down in the Central American area. Folks, there's been one story after another of just young people running with God. See, we have the answer. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. We've never had any gimmicks but we've always had him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we have an opportunity to be able to love on you, to care for you. And you have shown your love for us in so many numerous ways. God, thank you for young people. We know that they love you. And we pray that you continue to bless them. And Father, help us even now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Okay.